Hello, everybody. So, uh, I've been snoozing a little bit, uh, but I do have a bunch of podcasts in the hole for you guys. Uh, we should be coming fast and furious for December uh, for your holiday listening, driving around, doing your thing, taking your little vacations as we do here on the South Island, and uh, I find it much less stressful than... Uh, or what did I say, South Island? I'm at Southern Hemisphere, uh, middle of summer down here. It's kind of barbecues and beaches at this time of year in New Zealand and Australia. And so resulting in, uh, yeah, a lot less stressful. Uh, I just remember holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, a lot of fun. I don't want to say stressful because maybe that's the wrong word. Uh, but it's just full on, and it just seems it's a lot cruisier down here. Now, the good and bad of that is, you know, you, you don't get that sentimentality, that sort of um, uh, sort of endearment you have with the holiday season that, that you get up north in Europe and North America. Uh, but anyway, it's fun nonetheless to have a, a little bit of a cruisier December coming up outside of all my boys that are out and, and gals that are out in the, in the vineyards, which uh, seems to be full on at this moment. We're having a great spring in Hawks Bay. But anyway, today's podcast is always sponsored by DecibelWines.com. Please join our wine club. We're about to do our December shipment. You could sign up before the 15th of December for New Zealand and Australia. Um we're going to add in Australia now. It's a new thing, but you'll pay a bit of shipping to get over there. But we're also now distributed in Australia, in Sydney at least, in the capital district as well. And so keep an eye out for any of you Aussies over there with uh, Decibel Wines. they got all five wines over there now in Sydney. It's pretty exciting. I was there uh, last month. And, yeah, so anyway, I've got uh, – Two more great podcasts coming up with some winemakers. Uh, one of, and I have a third one that'll be on hold for a while um, uh, for a variety of reasons, but I uh, respect the guy's decision to just hang on there for a while. Anyway, I'm drinking a, uh, a glass of uh, Maxim Chenin Blanc, hint, hint. It's quite delicious. I just say it's really young. I want to give it some more time. I've got another bottle in there. I'm going to wait on Anyway, today's podcast is a is an interesting one. It seems like you know it's great talking to winemakers and getting their stories and their thoughts on everything happening in the region. But you know, to really talk about some hot issues, it seems like the last two have been about water. And uh, as we discuss in this, uh, so you know, the first being Mark Krasnow about a month month and a half ago. That was a great conversation. Sorry, Doctor Mark Krasnow. And uh, this one being with Zan Harding, who is on the Hawks Bay Wine Growers Board. He's a wine grower, um, and he's made some trophy wines from, uh, well, grown some trophy wines for Mission, Pinot Ricard, um, Ash Ridge, Trinity Hill, and... Of course, Decibel. He was the one who grew the uh, 2016 Mionier. So uh, I know Zan fairly well. He was also the viticulturist or is the viticulturist at Paratua. So we interact quite a bit. But uh, he's a smart guy. And he was definitely the man to talk to about this uh, WCO in Hawks Bay coming up 
for the Naroa River, which is such an important issue. I mean, I went to a couple of the meetings, and I, I mentioned this a couple of times in our conversation, and I was a bit confused and really scared. I think I was scared, uh, not that I don't think we can find the right solution, but I'm sort of scared for the community in the sense that uh, I just hope we can have a great conversation and make the right decision and, and do it. You know, the, we, we talk about all our impact on the environment. Uh, I think the folks were worried on either end, one that we might compromise the environment in some ways that we don't have to, and another ones that we, um, you know, just make a rash decision and, and affect the people. And, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's about economics, but it's also, and you don't want to say everything's about money, but it's not, you know, it's about people's livelihoods and, you know, people's businesses. You know, we're not talking about giant evil corporations here. We're talking about growers who have put their whole life uh, into, uh, and I'm not just talking about the wine industry. We're talking orchards and farmers and, and yes, dairy farmers as well, who, you know, are going to come out as being somewhat the bad guy in this. Um, but uh, not necessarily for the Naro River, as, as I learned during this. So in short, uh, I would say, that I'm less scared after talking to Zan, that I, I have more information and I understand the process more. And I feel like, you know, I don't know all the players involved, but I feel like there's a good dialogue going on. And it's certainly sort of above my head or out of my reach to how I can affect things. I can affect things just like anybody else by writing a letter uh, and paying attention and going to the, the meeting if I want to learn more and looking online and reading what the uh, Hawks Bay District Council website says, so uh, which I have done, and I'm trying to do all those things just to get my head around this and understand this, if for nothing else, to explain to my daughter that uh, why we did or didn't get this right. Uh, and it is something that's happening right now. We just recorded this podcast. I've actually skipped this ahead of a couple other ones that I've had recorded because I want to get this out there uh, as we point out early on in our conversation, which, by the way, we just kind of dive right into. So you're going to be thrown in. Zan started talking. I said, wait, wait, I don't want to turn the microphones on because you're telling me uh, your meeting's right on, you know, two or three days from now when the um, the New Zealand wine growers will go in front of the tribu- tribunal. Uh, now, it's one of these things where that it will affect the industry a lot we probably don't have as much effect on the water as uh, maybe some other industries do and certainly not as much as the townspeople and and everybody in this region so uh, but Zan does a really good job of explaining all that and uh, well I hope you guys uh, like it and uh, I think you'll learn a lot I hope you pay attention and I hope you go check this issue out for yourself and uh, yeah listen to what Zan has to say really pay attention there's nothing more important right now than what are going on what's going on in the world and and, and in the environment for you those of you outside of Hawks Bay I think it's an example of how in New Zealand we are trying to get these things right uh, but you know no issue is is simple uh, we're a young country but we've got to all do it together and communicate and yes there has to be lawyers involved and we have to do it try to do it the right way so uh but for those local people i I just think 
yeah, you got to listen to this and understand what's going on. This is one perspective from New Hawks Bay wine growers, but you know, I would love to talk to somebody from who represents the orchards and somebody who uh, represents some of the farmers and dairy farmers and things like that. So, uh, hope you guys like it. Enjoy. This is Ann Harding talking about the water conservation order here in Hawks Bay. you were saying the WCO is going to be wrapped up in a week or so? I, wanted, I stopped you before you said that. What did you mean, like no meetings on it? Or, no meetings on it or there's going to be a decision or? Hell no. Yeah. Um, what it will be is the, the, the first stage hearings wrap up Yeah. Uh, towards the end next week. Because it was a big sort of more open thing in november right middle of november a couple yeah, weeks ago so it, it opened up a couple of weeks ago they had they've had last week off um and they kick off again uh monday and we're first up so we've got our our legal counsel um james garden hopkins who's uh, gonna be up there for the first hour reading them their rights yeah yeah and then uh, emma thompson Emma Taylor. Emma Taylor, Emma Thompson, Emma Taylor. the Ryan Rider. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Emma Thompson's <laughs> heard of what's going on, and she's coming yeah. along to have a, have a look as well. But, oh, good. Now, Emma Taylor's uh, there representing uh, Gimlet Wine Growers. Mm. So let's uh, back up a second, because I really wanted to talk to you, because uh, you obviously know a lot of what's going on, but you come at it from uh, the New Zealand or Hawke's Bay wine growers' standpoint, but... It's only come on my radar and probably a bunch of other people's radar. You know, we're all busy doing our thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last few months, maybe July, August is when it really started getting a big kick up and everybody's saying come yeah, to these it got, meetings. Yeah, it got uh, publicly notified back in July, yeah. July or August. Something. And I went to a couple of meetings and was, uh, I don't want to say I was confused by the issue. I think I understand, you know, that they want to conserve some areas and, and all that, but um I was a little confused by probably, which is fair enough, there's a lot of people involved, and what the position is of Hawks Bay wine growers. I think I'm probably a little clearer now, just having been to a couple of the meetings and heard a few people talk it out. But obviously, I might have a different opinion than you, or and you'll have a different one from XYZ grower up the road and all that. So it's, it's got to be a pretty difficult job to come to a unifying front. But, uh, um, uh, but the, you know... To me, it just seems like, yeah, well, first of all, where do we stand? And and that's a complicated thing because you want, uh, you know, we want to support some conservation and we want to don't be seen as uh, the wine industry as uh, any kind of bad guy in it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I don't think we are. I think we're, you know, certainly compared to a lot of other industries, we're... Yeah, I I think the thing that people have to accept... Um, get their minds around is that everybody has an effect on the environment. Yeah. And once you get over that and accept that, and, and the reality is that, that you can't exist on this planet without having some effect. It's a, quite a question of, you know, what you do, you know, to 
within reasonable bounds that, that the community sets yeah. to minimise your footprint. Mm. Right? And it's just, and it's not a, it's not a particularly difficult thing to do necessarily or a mindset to change, but um, there is, in, in New Zealand, there's, there's, there has been a bit of a, ze- a them and us. To, to a large degree, uh, we've, because of the dairy intensification in New Zealand, uh, we have had waterways being degraded and uh, a lot of finger pointing going on. It's pretty easy to do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like right in front of everybody. And, and, and without wanting to, you know, and, and it's never productive to kind of side one industry against each other. But, you know, if I, if I can say that I'm objective about it, you know, we've got into the space of, you know, much heightened um, you know, community concern about the state of our waterways, which still by, you know, by global standards are incredibly good, mm. but not as good as they could be, and in parts actually quite bad by international standards. Not tragic. I mean, I lived for five years in China and our waterways are not brown, green and all shades <laughs> under the sun. Um, you know, open sewers running out of factories, you know. But they have, you know, in parts decline quite significantly and most of it's around uh, nutrients and most of that's coming out of cows asses yeah yeah totally yeah um, so so um, but everybody but the point is and, and there's an and the question the, uh, the point that everyone has an effect rather than finger pointing and say look you know I might be growing apples okay I'm, I'm still you know I'm still f- having an effect on the environment the, the stuff that I do my footprint might be you know, a half or a third or whatever the figure is, but it doesn't mean I can't still do it better yeah. and haven't got an obligation to do that. So I mean, we're fortunate in the wine industry that we're right at the lowest end of environmental impact from a start point. Um, so that, and, and we've we failed to fully appreciate that and we've failed to quantify that and we're, we're making great strides now um, mm. as we have to to understand and but also to get out out front and start to, you know tell that story about just you know how good our systems are uh, relative to some others without <laughs> without necessarily trying to well, drag I, them I down mean, I, I don't know who's <laughs> growing what around i mean what paddock but i get so frustrated i'm driving down the road and i just i'm right around the, both these directions i keep going and they're not vineyards obviously because they're giant irrigation sprinklers yeah. And they're just spraying out onto the road. And yeah, like, so I mean, yeah. just, just, just. Um, That's like a simple thing that you're just like, come on, guys. Yeah, yeah, know? keep it off the roads, a good start. But, you know, again, perspective, you know, we're using, in Hawke's Bay, we're using somewhere between 120 and 200 mils of, of uh, irrigation in a dry season. Uh, your grass is about 600 mils. So, you know, we're a third yeah, of the grass. <laughs> of, of the grass. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, that's, and that's big, you know, that's because well, of the, you know, because we farm, you know, we're not farming to grow leaves. We're farming to, you know, keep the, the plants lean and mean and just, you know, and work them pretty hard. Yeah, I um, mean. But we can't do it. Our current systems can't do it without water. For people outside the, even Hawke's Bay, but, uh, you know, some of these industries, are, I think there's two things. To, one is we had a you know big water scare in Havelock uh, with some people getting really sick mm-hmm. and a couple died right you know yeah a couple older folks they were yes. right and so and I know some families who had some kids that were sick for quite a long time and so it's definitely in the public 
not, you know, it's in the zeitgeist right now. Yeah, well, I reckon 5,000 people got sick. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah quite a lot. Serious. Uh, and then on top of that, for people who don't know that much about Hawke's Bay, is it's, you know, breadbasket in New Zealand. There's, every, you know, there's farms everywhere. There's vineyards everywhere, orchards, every, you know, they're everywhere you turn. And then there's, you know, these nice towns and beachfronts. But uh, the towns themselves are taking water as well. You know, like you said, everybody's got something to do with it. So... Um, so, so it's, spend, it's a hot topic, I yeah, would just say, you know. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the environment and water in particular has become very politicised in Hawke's Bay. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is, as you say, it's, it's because of things like the Havelock North um, drinking water contamination. But also before that, the, the whole um, proposal, the Ruatanifa proposal and, and concerns around the declining state of the Tukituki River. Mm-hmm. So um, so that, and because, you know, some, well, because on the one hand there were, you know, pretty significant concerns from, from the environmental community and, and the community at large about the state of the Tukituki, um, you know, just there's too much, too much nitrogen getting into the system and, and too much algal growth over the summertime. Which, you know, which is a classic sign of, of a river that's that's in less, you know, pristine condition than it should be. Yeah. So, um, but also at the, at the same time, the, the local authorities wanting to uh, foster um, land use intensification development and, and just, you know, the um, improvement to the community, the productive community in, in the central Hawke's Bay up, up the river uh, and pushing uh, the large-scale dam proposition pretty hard. Possibly a bit too hard, and a bit <laughs> <laughs> might have been uh, might have been more successful if they'd been a little more independent in the way they went th- around about things, rather than yeah. taking such a you know a position of such a strong advocate for the scheme. But anyway, so any event that 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 was the start of the really high level of politicisation in water. But anyway, getting getting to the water conservation order, the key thing that people need to understand about that is that this is the Nararo River, which flows from central North Island right down and, and this is falls from a pretty high level I can't tell you how many meters it is but mm. it's thousands of meters and it's uh, from pristine bush and it comes all the way down to uh, come out you know out between Napier and Hastings on, on at the coast there the top half or so of it is either completely pristine or as close to it there's uh, probably the top third it's got no farming in it at all yeah uh, there's some extensive pastoral farming as you come further down, and one tributary, the Tarurau, has got has got slightly less than pristine water conditions on because there is there's, there's a few big sheep and beef farms up there, but it's still ex, you know exceedingly good water quality. As as, as the river flows down into the plains. It uh, changes its character and it becomes its surround, you know, the stop banks for flood control and that sort of thing. But that section of the river actually feeds the whole of the Hirotonga Plains community and, and the aquifer that all of the, the productive uh, value of, of, of the Hirotonga Plains. Uh, Everybody's wells in the, coming out of that, basically. Yeah, know. so it's, it's uh, you know, in the same way as you've got, um, you know, we, the Hirotonga Plains is really second only to the... Uh, to the Canterbury Plains as as an extensive sort of east coast, you know, semi-arid 
uh, sort of wind, uh, rain shadow mm. area of highly productive, highly fertile plains, which because it's in, a, in the rain shadow of the of the uh, you know the spine of New Zealand, it's uh, it's dry. Yeah, it's what and makes this place special. <laughs> that's why, yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> it's why it makes the wine so special. Yeah, um, but you know, in that dry environment, just like in California, you, you need some water to yeah. keep things going. Yeah, well, it's always been an issue there, you know, forever, and yeah. and and. Uh, so and it's fascinating that, that there's actually a, a fairly short section of the river from uh, Marakakao down to Fern Hill, which is only a matter of a few kilometres, and most of the water for the whole of the Heritonga Plains falls out of the bottom of the river, just running down through there for four cubics, four cubic yeah, metres. Yeah, because it's a pretty, pretty heavy up further than that, and then yeah. it gets all braided and low, you know, by the time it hits down near us, basically. Yeah. yeah. So the so anyway so from from the perspective of the water conservation order uh, and the decision of Fish and Game and the other applicants to apply for an order, which is essentially essentially cr- making a waterway into a national park is, yeah. is, is the kind of way to think of it. It's a, locking it up. Who, who are the other applicants? Because I saw, I was reading, there was really six or seven, right? That there's were five. Five, okay. So there's... Uh, I know it's bird and yeah, forestry for, or whatever. What is it Fish called? and Game New Zealand, Forest and Bird forest New and Zealand. Bird, yeah. Uh, there's some kayakers in there, uh, you know, whitewater rafters. Um, there's jet boating New Zealand, and there's that's a uh, random one. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, they use a river there, but the Spill, funny thing about them the is petrol into the river, you know. Yeah, and they love they 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 love the water being nice and low. It gets more exciting for them, so yeah. they actually don't care that there's too much water in the river. Yeah, that's a random um, one. Anyway, and and then a, a, a Nati Hori Kopatiki, a uh, an iwi. Uh, subgroup mm-hmm. um, or hapu uh, subtribe mm-hmm. um, that are actually in the bottom right at the bottom of of the river or where the river used to be because actually uh, their awa their river is the Clive now which is actually because in the 1950s uh, it was actually the the uh, bottom part of the river was uh, was diverted so in fact the Narrara doesn't even flow past them anymore which is not to not to belittle their interest in the quality of the water running past their their doorstep, but running past their marae. But technically, they aren't actually part of the. Nara but they do have itself. a river going through there. It's a different. Yes, one. it's Clive. It's part of the Karamu system, which is actually a lowland stream system. So, what happened is they they still have the channel, but instead of having the full force and of of, right. of a major you know a major North Island you know. Um, a river coming down from you know snow you know, snow feed to a certain extent and and uh, the major that. system I have they seen only have a lowland river, river coming through now so and it comes through you know the township have, have a lot I remember when I first moved here and I was driving across these bridges you know like Fern Hill and stuff and some of the ones around Hastings and thinking oh they've really gone pretty safe with these stop banks and these bridges like you know and then. Mm-hmm. We had, I think, you know, it was like a huge winter, spring, I can't remember, and they were, I mean, it was getting close to the bridges, and I thought, oh, okay, that's why, because it can roar. That must have been oh nine or 10 or something like that. It was remember. a real good one in 2007. We yeah. had, out on the coast, we had over 300 mils of rain in about 48 hours. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know if this was snow melting, or, and it was just a long period of rain, too, down here, because, you know, we don't get snow down on the plains, but um, it can roar when it's really, really going for it. Um, but going back to, uh, 
Okay, you know, the conservation and all that, which is, you know, there's obviously a great reason for that, and there's different parties involved in doing that. But going back to the the dairy part, you know, partially for people to understand that, you know, what's going into the water, uh, but how you could actually stop it outside of moving back from the water or, you know, reclaiming certain areas, which I don't know if that's part of the conservation order would be, but... Um, Outside of just we can't draw as much water off of there, but how do you actually fix the issue of, uh, you know, is that too sensitive? Not for you to talk about, for but for people to approach the idea of like, well, you know, dairy or, yeah, I'm guessing it's just dairy that they got to back off, you know, and and they can't farm in certain areas. Um, is that part of the order, or and is there another solution besides just you know I don't know whatever you got to move a kilometer away from the river or whatever it is, you know. Well, I mean, the fortunate thing for us in the Nararoa is that there's almost no dairying in the system. And that is most likely one of the reasons why the, the water quality is still uh, exceedingly high. Uh, so what the order seeks to do is essentially uh, preserve What's these on? very high, these exceptional uh, values, a uh, range of va- you know, values of the river. Um, and preserve them for for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and so, water conservation orders uh, have you know, the key question is: Are there in values that you know important, um, outstanding, nationally outstanding environmental values in that system, in that river system? And if there are, so and if if the applicants can prove. Uh, to certain standard in this uh, through the special tribunal inquiry that that there are you know, nationally outstanding environmental values in that system, then it can be eligible for a water conservation order. So what that does, technically, the underlying assumption is that you're preserving the status quo. And the status quo for us is actually that you've got a very uh, pristine upper part of the river and then you've got the lower part of the river, which is, you know, uh, runs through a highly modified, you know... Uh, yeah, it's all... It's been changed. Agricultural and urban environment, hmm. um, you know, and and has been, you know, it has extractive uses as well as recreational uses and all those kind of things. So we're already doing this sort of, all these things. We're already taking water from the system, from the groundwater, from the river itself... To run our factories, to keep out, you know, the, the community more than hundred thousand people um, ticking over, and and for for agriculture and horticulture, so that's already happening. Um, so it can be argued that all all the water conservation orders doing is saying, well, look, that's, you, you've had, you know, well, let's not take any more, let's not yeah. make things any worse than they are. Devil's in the detail, though. It's a little bit more complicated than that, and. Uh, the application does seek to uh, raise the minimum flows that the that apply to cutting off irrigation. It also entrains all the groundwater, so it get, becomes highly complica- complex. The actual meaning, once you roll in the water quality standards that have been proposed, it starts to get more complex again, and then it becomes quite a technical question as to whether existing activities are still permitted or not. So that's that's the space we're in now, really, is, is on the one hand the, 
the um, this the special tribunal uh, hearing uh, arguments for what the values are, and as we go through the hearings, then we'll get to a point where we'll say, well, so there may be these values, and if the values are sufficiently outstanding, then there'll be consideration of what sort of protection is yep. required. Um, and anyway, so what what happened um, was was a decision was made to split the. Um, the hearings in half, based around uh, a point in the river, where, and that point's um, called Fauna Fauna, uh, which is it marks a change from essentially a a, uh, a virtually pristine river with uh, in a sort of a gorge canyon, very confined state with with essentially no no uh, groundwater attached to it. Um, below the Fauna Fauna Cableway, it spills out into your flatter land and and then and a significant uh, groundwater aquifer you know becomes developed and spreads yep. across the Hirotonga plains and it turns into into a braided people braided river people are there and eventually. people start interacting <laughs> with it a lot more so yeah. that, and so that was a reasonably natural sort of a point to say look we will consider the tribunal will consider the the values um, of the top part of the river which is much more likely to generate, a, you know, an, an agreement that there are, you know, nationally outstanding values there. Yeah. Um, and and then later on, and in, in this stage, the proposal is for some time towards the middle of next year to hear the case for the values in the lower part of the river, and then potentially to to talk about the um, the restrictions and prohibitions that may go along with. But our, the, the Hawks Bay Wanger guy speaking Monday, and he's is that what you said? Yep. So there's three of us speaking Monday, and yeah. and and what we're doing is we're explaining our position, which is essentially to say, look, we're reasonably relaxed about, and and, and we conditionally support the idea of a conservation order for the upper part of the river, okay, because fundamentally. Our industry doesn't want to make it any worse. It's fantastic. We don't, nothing that we do, we, we're not growing any grapes up there. We're not making any wine up there. It's too high up the system to if, to affect us. We, uh, and, and we understand the community broadly wants to see that those you know, pristine or near pristine values preserved. So why would why would we not support that? Sure, and and you have to appreciate that that sense that um, you know attitude is driven by other things that are going on. It's driven by the wider appreciation that uh, the public in Hawke's Bay is very concerned about about water quality. Concerned not to we're concerned to see improvements um, in, in conditions that don't you know yeah. across the board. Um, and and also that there is a, a process which is a, a community collaborative process for limit setting called the, the tank group which has been running for nearly five years which actually just over five years now so to, what's the worry set. though the worry is that <laughs> what the WCO kind of would overshadow all that yeah yeah so so we've we've had this this tank process running uh, for, for five what's years what's the acronym again Tutaikuri, Ahariri, Nararara, Karamu, that's the name okay. of the four catchments. Three rivers and and one um, one estuary mm-hmm. uh, that make up the the uh, uh, Hiratonga Plains uh, water systems. Mm-hmm. 
So, and that's brought together all sectors of the community. So it's the strong representation from um, environment groups, from iwi, so from from Maoridom, from local tribes, uh, primary producers, both um, you know horticultural, viticultural, uh, and and agricultural. And the local councils, so the, the Hastings District Council, your, your Napier City Council, as well as a swag of people from the Hawke's Bay Regional Council who are the regulators, so they are responsible for, sure. you know, for controlling water quality so and quantity. That, that all sounds really good. Like somebody, you know, I'm looking from the outside in, I go, oh, well, that seems like it's a good dialogue. And yeah, look, it, it, there's a way for people to speak up and get involved and all that, but it from what I can tell from just, again, going to a couple of meetings, that it seems like it's being, uh, and pardon the pun, trumped by yeah. <laughs> by this other order that's coming in. And I guess my first question is, is, well, then who are the new players, if that means is it a more national level? Is it, you know, and they're coming and they're sort of interjecting into this system that's been going on for a while, this dialogue that's been going on for a little while. And uh, that seems to, you know, people are throwing up their arms saying, what the hell? has happened here you know we feel like we've lost this dialogue now yeah so you know a lot of a lot of uh the members of of tank of which which i'm just one of 30 or more uh felt quite aggrieved that their efforts and goodwill to you know to try and reach a mutually acceptable community yes you know um Solution for the you know for the future for the next ten to twenty thirty years for the Heritonal Plains was being undermined by by this application for water conservation order, and um, most or th- three of the parties uh, that made up the applicant so the Fish and Game Forest and Bird and uh, Ngati Hori Ki Kohopatiki uh, are also on tank, so that. Obviously, raised some eyebrows. Um, but was like to, oh, you did this behind our backs. Kind uh, of yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could be excused from from uh, thinking that that's that's the way it was. Look, and they will say, and fairly too, that they've been working on that water conservation order for a lot longer than uh, the than tank. tank's been going for yeah. ten years or more. Uh, so. You know that is the law is there. They're completely entitled to 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 um, make an application for a conservation order. So I don't think it's I don't think it's very productive to dwell too much on the fact that they've chosen to do that. We just have to to deal with the fact that they have. I mean, we'd much prefer that they didn't because it's another highly complex and expensive, time consuming. Um, process to be involved in and introduces a lot of uncertainty and the practical problem for us in the in, in the lower part of the river is that water conservation orders are very rigid very hard to change and uh, are not sufficiently flexible they're not they're, they're too inflexible to allow the community to you know to manage the resource and, and balance its the various competing values um, that we've spent five years in tank, you know, trying to get and getting very close now to a point of 
of you know reaching agreement and a solution yeah yeah it seems yeah it just seems strange that i, I you know one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to you is because first of all i knew you would <laughs> and uh and i know you know a lot about this but i it, I would love to talk to somebody. And again, we it's one, going back to one of the first things you said, there's not sides in this thing, but there's obviously uh, a stronger feeling about something there from the that group or that faction, if you will. Uh, and I'd be curious to know, did they think that, you know, tank wasn't working fast enough or did they, again, you said it started a long time ago, but clearly they've gone through the legal process to get this all, you know, um, put in place and, and get the wheels turning for it. So they, there's a, they feel strongly about something that they want done. And, uh, and that, that word rigid is, uh, something that, uh, you know, I, I would worry about. And, uh, you know, you'd just be curious what would happen in a, in a drought year and, and, uh, what would happen? To, and I'm not even talking about the, the growers and everybody out here i'm talking about the people in town you know like what how would that affect them if you have such rigid well, things you know what i mean potentially they're just as, as affected as, as we are uh, so and, and i don't see it I, I don't see a lot of people watering their lawns in hawks bear and wasting water like on a, on a community level i think people take it pretty pretty seriously you know uh so i don't think it's but you know it's more taking a shower <laughs> you know uh you know, maybe water in your little garden or something like that, but I don't see a lot of, uh, you know, blatant community waste out there with, you know, big lawns and, you know, water going all night or anything like that, you know. So, yeah, rigid is a, a – and then I also see – read some things and heard some things at those meetings about um, water storage and how, you know, why you wouldn't be able to draw off to store some water for whether or not that would even help, you know. Yeah. Well, it's it's part of the, a potential trade-off, and that if there are you know further restrictions placed on on uh, taking water during summer low flows, then the logical you know fallback is to to store winter high flow water, and that's you know it has an effect. You're taking winter high flow water out of the river; it has you know some effect on on those in-stream values, but not nearly as much as has when the, the I mean, has, you know the the well ever gone dry? So, and literally, in Hawkes Bay. I believe uh, in the nineteen seventies, the uh, in an extreme drought, the river did actually dry up. And but and the wells, though, no, the no. aquifers, right? Like nobody ever. No, and and look, there's the the regional council has just spent a couple of million dollars on a new hydrological model for the Hirotonga Plains, and that shows very clearly that we are not even close to needing to be concerned about about extracting more uh, from the thank you very much for that wine yeah. um, extracting more from the aquifer than it can take so we still you know you do your mass balance and see how much you know you, there's so much water coming in from rainfall and you know up in the catchment and you look at how much we're taking out collectively that's the community and industry and, and, and irrigators and there's still a lot that's flowing out to sea, um, you know, both through the river and, and through the aquifer and, and ending up in the freshwater springs out in the middle of Hawke Bay. So we're a long way away from um, drawing it dry. We're not, you know, we're not even within, you know, 50% of, of, of doing that. What does happen, though, is the more that you take out, the bigger 
seasonal fluctuations. You sure. Get. So that yeah, is yeah, that yeah. is consideration, and, and and the bigger your seasonal fluctuations, the more likely you are to start. People start seeing effects on, you know, you can start affecting your neighbours, but also um, it has an effect on um, on wetlands. And there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of there aren't many wetlands left, but you know, from you know, hundreds of years of, of, of drainage and you know bringing bringing swamps into production, um, you know, and without yeah, an appreciation <laughs> of the of the the ecosystem services that you know wetlands provide. So. Given that there are so few left, so few um, wetlands left in the you know the dry side of New Zealand, Hawke's Bay included, there's you know environmental groups and everyone should be you know rightly concerned to to, to preserve them. So that does present a practical limit on the amount that we can you know that we can extract from groundwater. There's no appetite for increasing that um, because we know now. Science tells us clearly that yeah, that we will. You I know, think there'll we'll be a. Have I don't a, know. From what I can on. tell, there'll be there's going to be a. There's the population of the area is going to continue, and we might start having to build up and a little bit out. But um, there can't be much more good farmland around to that really you know would be putting in a lot of wells. Maybe there isn't, but yeah. deeper up. Inland, you know. Yeah, well, um, there's still a bit of land, and you know, around the Crownthorpe area, and you've got sort of these upper parts of of the uh, the uh, table lands above the river, the slightly higher elevations that, yeah. that we grow our our, uh, our cooler climate varieties, the your Pinot Gris and your Chardonnay. And I get some Sauvignon. My rosé up there, I totally understand. So, but I so just the constraint up there, the constraint up there is, is, I mean, there is still land, there is still excellent land up there, but you know, there is the water is not available at the moment. So we're certainly interested in you know seeing if out of all this, there's you know one of the silver linings to the you know to the cost that we're facing and the potential risk to some of our existing businesses that we may if we can get some access to stored water from at high in times of high flows in the, this further you know we can grow the industry mm. in those elevated areas no it's certainly good up there i mean i'm a believer in the crown thorpe area and um sort of offers a bit of an alternative and uh as we see these appellations developed in this area you know i suppose the you know the elephant in the room though is the Giblet Gravels, you know, which I've done a whole series on on this podcast, talking to winemakers and viticulturists from there. And um, I'm sure the term hydroponic wine growing is, is, has come out uh, out uh, a couple times on that, you know, and how free draining it is and all that, which is, you know, for 2017, it was a, a great thing to have mm. when we had a couple cyclones come through. I think that's when that region really shines uh, is in those 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 type of years. Um but, you know, that's that's an area where, you know, we, I talked to Mark Krasnow on this as well. And, you know, we, we thought, you know, and I know you've involved with Mark and uh, you think, oh, well, you know, you could get on to a, I don't know, eight-year plan to go dry farming someday or clo- as close to it as you could. But I, I don't know how you do that on the Gibbler Gravels. I mean, I'm not an expert on it, but I think I have worked on the Gibbler Gravels yeah. quite a bit. And So it's really interesting <laughs> listening to what Mark has to say about that and, you know, and, and even uh, you know, almost irrespective of the rootstocks that we're using, and that 
that if we work hard enough at it, we push our vines hard enough that in time we may even on those that sort of country be able to drive farm. What he can't say with more confidence is that whether we could actually survive economically doing that because of the yields, because sure. of the, you know. That, well, the that's why I threw would, out would, 10 years or something because you, you would have to, you know, uh, do it by block. And, you know, I've, George Fistonich is the first one to say to me, he goes, you know, we saw a significant drop in yields uh, for our, you know, organic and dry farm production, but now they're the most resilient and we're getting amazing quality out of those blocks. And, um, but it took time and investment and, and I, I can totally appreciate that's not an easy thing to do. And, and it's almost like this water conservation act, it shouldn't be a snap overnight thing and say, or even a few year thing. It should be something we're trying to work towards. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the comments often made that we've, it's taken us a couple of hundred years of, you know, development of Western civilization, for want of a better word, you know, in New Zealand to get us to this point. Um, is it realistic to, in those areas where you have got concerns about the environment, to turn around within the space of a couple of years? Mm. So it's you know it's multi generational to get to this point. You know, arguably it's at least generational to get us back to something that that you know a space that the community's happy happy to be in. Um, you know, and there's no one right answer. No. It's a community negotiation in every area, every catchment, essentially. But just as an example, in the Waikato, the heart of dairying in New Zealand, um, and the largest river in New Zealand, and um, they've their plan allows them eighty years to, you know, they have a, a, pl- a plan stepped out over eighty years to to improve the water quality in the Waikato. So does that have a lot to do with, uh, you know, catchment ponds and stuff like that and settlement areas to get to, like, again, we're talking about getting shit in the river, basically, you know, shit in the water, you know. So really, I mean, one of the the key things about managing water quality is that it's very specific to your catchment. So, you know, each catchment, the, the characteristics, the water quality characteristics you know, vary hugely depending on, you know, your aspect, your rainfall, you know, your topography and, and the land use activities that are, that are going on there. So it's, I think the best way you can generalise is to say that the best way to manage it is to get the people who are actually, you know, having the effects to, you know, to engage them in being part of the solution. And that's... Totally, yeah. yeah. You don't want to go out and finger point and say you got to do this and that and yeah. it's because it is a community issue and and you know what guy does up the road you know affects jim this way and, and that and and you know just speaking from the wine industry i mean what the what kind of effect do we have on this region with tourism and you know all the businesses around here you know it's not even six degrees it's two degrees of separation mm-hmm. between any industry and and another one, you know, whether it's wine, orchards, you know, I've got friends who are in, you know, farmers and other areas that, you know, we're all in it together, sort of, you know, we're doing different things, but, you know, we're, uh, you know, any accounting firm, any, anybody that's in town doing a towny job, they're, it's all dependent on what, what's going on out this way as well, you know. So the solution needs to be everybody together, you know, and that's what sounded good about the tank 
uh, thing. And, and I guess it's a little scary about the WCO that, you know, and of course we see the signs as you're driving around our community and this and that, which I know New Zealand or Hawks Bay wine growers is, you know, we're not saying we're going to be that. <laughs> We, that, we, we that don't think the sky is going to fall on our head if yeah. the water conservation order goes ahead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, as I said before, it, you know, the, the, the key to, I mean, this is international best practice, the key to managing complex environmental problems is to en- engage the community. Have to. But it, it is carrot and stick. You do need to not only you, – you want to have people willingly doing their part, understanding that they have an effect and, and, and you know, being allowed to be creative and, you know, you know, you don't ask a regulator – you don't get a regulator to tell a grape grower or a dairy farmer how to run their business better. You say, these are the outcomes. These are the results I need from you. Now, please go away and do it. Now, please do it. I'd rather you did it willingly – and we'll cut you some slack and we'll design the rules so that it's in your interests totally. to take ownership. But if you don't, we've got this big stick here and we're probably going to, you know, whack you with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's a mixture of the carrot and stick. But, but that, you know, tank is about finding that balance um, so that and, – and this is the message that, that a lot of us in the primary sector repeat very regularly to say, look, you just tell us what you need as a community and, and we'll figure out how to get it done. Yeah, oh, I think that's one of the best things about that I've seen living in New Zealand is we pivot pretty quick. We find solutions. I mean, uh, you know, what's going on in the last 10 years since I've been here and what happened in the 10 years before that, it's you just see it leaps and bounds of what. So we'll find a way to get it done yeah, uh, so, and adjust, you know. And it's interesting that, that probably the biggest issue in, in the Narara catchment is not, and because we, you know, in part because we don't have dairy, the water quality is not actually, well, the, the, the nutrient status of the water is actually not a problem, and we don't have a lot of, you know, we don't have biological problems with it. So, you know, very low E. coli counts, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's sediment, and that's, um, so the river system is carrying a lot of sediment, and not only does that, um, if you have too much sediment in the water, then it uh, affects you know, it fills up the, um, it gets in between the boulders, you know, it, it changes the, the nature of your stream bed and it, and it becomes less supportive of a range of, of, of stream life. But it also ends up down in the estuaries and that's and this, the major problem that we have in our system overall is that we're getting far too much um, sediment down in the estuaries. So what's causing that? Uh, is that development you know, Part of it is just, you know, natural... Um, processes and and uh, sediments very event driven. So your cyclone boulders, the big cyclones that come down from the the, sure. the, the you know from the Pacific, you know from time to time. Um, you know we have you know 2007 event for example. You know maybe every three or four years without wanting to generalise, we're going to have these massive events where you get major major overland flows of of sediment, and those are the those are the really big events that that drive the really big changes in the catchment from a sediment um, point of view. So, but the challenge is we have to, you can't, you know, we have to manage and come up with solutions bearing those, you know, to try and deal with those those one-off large events, which, you know, possibly with climate change are actually in, in, Well, climate in, change in, and intensified. also like, you know, there was an earthquake, you know, ni- 1930 that, 
you know, took out half the swamplands in mm-hmm. Napier. There was an earthquake yep. in 1860 that shifted the Nara River. I mean, these are things that are, you know, in the grand scheme of things, try are, are pretty. That's like yesterday, you know, in the in the history yeah. of the planet. You yeah. know, it's it's uh, or, or it's earlier today. It, it really. But 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 I mean but I mean we, I mean we do we do know, and as we've got. Reasonably good science around the idea that we can identify parts of the catchment that are more prone to, you know, giving up sediment under you know stressful conditions, you know, high mm-hmm. rainfall conditions, and and those are candidates for some kind of change in land use. So, trees, you know, more trees in the landscape is definitely going to be the way of the future, and some of those trees will be will be uh, on farmland, you know, and and it will probably be a mixture of plantation forestry and your your manukas for your um, for um, honey production and sure. and uh, hardwood production and that sort of thing. So so we will see one thing I can just about guarantee out of this uh, the the results from the tank plan change will be a uh, big impetus to planting trees in those areas that are most prone hey, to slipping. Jacinda's going to plant a billion trees. Oh, was it yeah, a million trees yeah, or whatever yeah, it was? She can come and plant a few trees here. That would be good. Um, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, that it's it's uh, just again about how how young everything is and how you know young New Zealand is. But but I was also wondering. Oh, you're you're flattering me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not you, not <laughs> you, Zan. You're not. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. What are you what are you saying? <laughs> no, but I was thinking about you know like where we're at on the Bridgepot Triangle, and I always you know I see old maps and things, and then I I will read a little bit of history, and it's pretty evident that a lot was cleared mm-hmm. away at some stage. Uh, though this well, hundred years a, ago, if you went to Bridge Park, you'd be standing in the middle of the river. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but other areas, there's probably been some trees that have cleared. I mean, how much? Mm. You know, there's not a lot of old trees around where here. You know, no. So look, you know, the Hirotonga Plains was was you know a swamp. It was rivers and 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 swamps and um, you know lowland bush. Kahikatea, you know, so quite large trees mm. and, and a mixture of, you know, swamp, your Alpo swamps and that sort of thing, you know, and and, and so that was, you know, quite um, and and the the Maori got around in canoe, you know, they, they that was the easiest way to get around the place, so um, you know, drainage, yeah, you know, Pakeha and the drains came along and uh, and a lot of the water disappeared out of the landscape, so yeah, it'd be quite fun to get a little bit of it back. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm a big yeah. fan of. Of the idea. I mean, we have to. The thing about uh, about improving water quality is everyone. Everyone has an effect. So you really want to to a certain extent anyway. You really want to engage everybody in in, in the solution. And you know, everyone pays their rates. All your landowners are paying their rates to the regional council, who are tasked with you know responsibility for for air, land, and water. And so, you know, it's, if everybody's um, feeling a little bit of the pinch of, mm. you know, the financial investments are required to get that. But also, you know, um, people's businesses, um, you know, industry and, and their households are, you know, the major users of water, uh, you know, together about half of the water that's, that's used. So, you know, they need to take some responsibility, for, you know, for doing their bit. Um, but the opportunity is to um, 
explain how the future, you know, with investment back into waterways as part of the landscape, um, just how much fun, you know, and how much benefit, how much enjoyment people could get out of that, you know, just bringing more wildlife as part of, you know, re, re, um, reinvigorating biodiversity, bringing, bringing oh, other native wildlife back, back into communities. I, I think it's And huge, in a food so basket as well. So there's right. so many opportunities. Um, I've seen it in communities in the States where they just, you know, they had a dead old stream running through town and, you know, they had some environmental issues and then to engage the community, not only did they, you know, have some task force and things that, you know, improved things and there was a lot more from basically the 70s onward in in the environment, Uh, but even more recently, you know, they decided... Uh, I'm thinking of one particular town in South Carolina where they just decided to make this river area, like, you know, not only have wildlife, but also, like, that's where you go ride your bike, that's where you go mm. run, that's where the community meets, that's where the park is. And 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 everybody became aware of it, like, overnight there, and it just completely changed the whole region. Uh, and and it hasn't – It's it keeps going, getting better there, you yeah. know what I mean? So I think, that, you know, I, I kind of feel what you're saying there. Yeah, so that's that's one of my little challenges with Tank is to try and, you know, we've been talking to the community for quite a while now about what we're doing. I'm hoping we can deliver something quite inspirational and not some dry plan change with a low-flow limit at the Fern Hill Bridge and yeah, some yeah. controls below Fonafon a cableway, but something a bit more, you know, inspirational and, and guiding. And But, you know, we need – people need to see – See and you know and understand the sort of real opportunities there are to to improve the you know to the, the communities that they live in through reinvesting in in, in our waterways. So if people want to follow this, no more outside of just you know you go online and read the latest thing in the Herald or the Hawks Bay today. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the best way for them to get engaged, find out more information? All you know, they can, these are open meetings to the public. First of all, or, yes, yes. Know? Um, Hawke's Bay Regional Council uh, website, hbrc.gov.govt.nz is a good place to start. Um, there's also a uh, look in the biodiversity section as well. If you're interested more in, in that side of things, there's a lot of activity going on in Hawke's Bay. There's a big push going into into biodiversity improvements uh, and the uh, Cape, Cape to the City um uh, sanctuary, wild, you know, wildlife sanctuary. So there's, there's there's a huge, there's a lot of goodwill and a lot of investment starting to go into to really you know bringing bringing the outdoors, you know, bringing our diverse, you know, unique uh, uh, wildlife mm. you know, back back into the city. And what about uh, this? Is I don't want to end on a bad note. <laughs> what about the uh, you know, there's been people talking about, I don't even know the name of the company that bottles water and exports it off of one of our rivers here in Hawke's Bay upstream or yep. something. There's a number of them. There's yep. a few of them. Um, and I think that's probably one of the only, but probably the best example I know of something where people feel a little bit lost and sort of pushed out as far as like, well, how does that happen? You know what I mean? How is that? Um, and but what is the real effect of that? And what, you know, as far as you know, you know, yeah. I mean, you're obviously more in the loop than most people. So, um, 
Yeah, I don't. What do you have to say about that? You know, I mean, it might be personally, touching. personally, I hate bottled water. But you know, having having lived in countries where you can't drink the water in the tap, I yeah. know, appreciate that it has a role. I agree. Yeah. Um, personally, I don't think it has a role in a place like New Zealand where you can happily drink the tap water, except for when there's a water issue. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the there. time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. The regional council, and, and and you know, it just feels wrong to most Kiwis that anyone can just come along, pay a few hundred dollars in application fees, and then and get a consent, you know, throw up a factory and get a consent to take vast amounts of water, what appear to be vast amounts of water, um, and make a profit on on, on exporting it. You know, and 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 um, you know, and sometimes whether it's foreigners doing that, it, you know, Kiwis might feel even more aggrieved than otherwise. I, I don't don't think that's necessarily the right way to look at it. And you know, there was a legitimate concern that there were no because we have no groundwater limits set. There's no rules around how much water could be taken. That there was open slathers. So sure. um, the council has moved to stop that. They've they've said that the new science that they have, the new hydrological model, demonstrates that that you, we can't keep on granting more water rights without having an effect on on Seems the obvious. system. Yeah. So they've got the justification to say that, and now they have said no more. So there are an existing small number of of water bottlers. One of the things about water is um, it, you have to, you know, there are huge numbers involved. So it's it's easy to to get um, swayed by a very large number, but you've got to look at it in the context of a, a very much larger number, which Could is be the literally a drop in the water ocean. in the system. You yeah, know, so yeah. so they're they're not at the moment, and and because because essentially further applications have been stopped, uh, it's not a major major problem. I wish they go away. Yeah, I'd be quite happier if they yeah. if they weren't there. Yeah. I did see uh, some of those boxes around though when uh, the water did go to shit for <laughs> a few weeks there back earlier. Was it was it earlier this year or last year? I think oh, it was last, last year. So they do have that place, unfortunately. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, well, thanks for talking to me. I mean, I'd be interested to you know speak again maybe in six months or something and hopefully it's that kind of gradual process that um because i think there's a lot of people who know nothing or are confused or scared and all that and uh uh and we all get caught up in our lives busy doing our own thing uh, but it's obviously a big issue and something that could affect everybody very seriously so yeah maybe we can chat again if there's uh some updates down the road yeah you know well i think i think the fear will go out of the water conservation water application, and I think I'm impressed that the the chair is a fair-minded individual. Mm. From Who is what it? I can Who, see uh, that's Richard Fowler. Fowler, you mentioned. Him. So yeah, I think the the special tribunal, all the members have conducted themselves well. And uh, who is it? What's his background? He's uh, oh d- yeah, no, I couldn't tell. He has a legal background, but he's a local. Or uh, no, 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 no. It's probably good to have somebody from the outside, you know, coming yeah. in, you know. But anyway, so the, the, I think uh, the order will get a fair hearing from from all perspectives. Uh, I think that uh, there'll be a lot better understanding developed about some of the problems of detail. So there's there's the principle, 
and and on a liberal principle, we're quite happy as an industry to see something happen. Sure, yeah. And then there's the devil in that detail. But I think a lot of that will get sorted out. So next Good. time we talk about that, I think it'll be a, you know, the community will be having a much more informed conversation. Yeah, I was going to say, well, settled we'll conversation. Some more, we'll have some more information. <laughs> yeah. Cool. We'll leave it there. And uh, thanks for coming around the corner for a chat. Pleasure. Cheers. Oh, pretty good. I uh, hope you guys feel better. At least you local guy, people who, are like me, were a bit confused on this issue and uh, are a bit scared of what happened uh, last year with our water here in Hawke's Bay and how it's going to move forward. I think I understand it a little more. I hope you guys do. Uh, feel free to write us an email. and uh, You can always tweet me at Decibel Dan. You can... Uh, email me uh, or email us at um, wineisfood at gmail.com. Give that out. Why not? And, um, you know, Zan's a very approachable guy. If you have any questions or concerns about what he said, certainly uh, go for it. But I just think the main thing is that in this world where it's a lot of tweets and blurbs and blips and little short articles, that it's really, really important not only to have these tribunals and sit down and work these issues out, but it's also important for us to talk to each other outside of that and sit down for these long-form conversations. And I hope the rest of the media and the rest of the public finds time that when they're interested in an issue to not just dismiss it in a short blurb or a tweet or you know a two-paragraph article. There's just no way these complex issues and opinions can be expressed that way. So... I hope I asked some questions that, uh, you know, I try to, I'm innocent in the, in the issue anyway, and I'm a bit naive to it all. So I hope I asked some questions that were uh, helpful. Uh, and I, I really do think Zan explained it the best that he could uh, to somebody who's a dummy like me. So anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we're, like I said, we're coming into December Christmas time. So use the promo code db podcast if you want to get 10 percent off your orders and free shipping within new zealand and we uh we have the wine club sign up on there right now for that you'd have to get in for december 15th we're doing three and six bottle lots out to folks and we've got some really cool new wines in there in the mix there including if you get the sixth one you get the junta the malbec nouveau which we had the party for a couple weeks ago that was a lot of fun at bare knuckle big shout out to the guys at bare knuckle barbecue man that was awesome uh, Tam and Jimmy and Chef Jonathan, they, oh man, those guys are killing it there. Go check it out. Uh, Texas Barbecue here in Hawks Bay, and they're legit. They brought a smoker in from America and did it right. All right, guys, cheers. Thanks. <laughs>